Sawate discipulian, sawate omnes. Welcome again to another episode of Latin in Layman's. I'm going to be continuing on with our mini uh, Latin series here, our grammar mini series here, where we're going to be diving into our 13th lesson, um, where I'm talking about reflexive and intensive pronouns, which are in uh, plenty of usage in later Latin and especially in speech because. Um, they really like to use these reflexive um, types of, uh, well, things to refer back to themselves, essentially. So, I just want to say how much uh, how much gratitude I have for everybody. You know, I just want to take this moment, this intro, just to, to say how much I love my new um, supporters. Everybody is just... Uh, it's so amazing. I am just, I, I am over the moon with how much affirmations I am getting with people sliding into my DMs, people commenting, saying that they're learning Latin. They've learned more Latin through my TikToks than two years of college. Um, everybody's ta- telling me how my, my passion is imbuing into them. And uh, they're wanting to rekindle their love for language and learn a new language or learn Latin. They, they're asking me where to start. You know, here it is, you guys. I'm referring everybody to my podcast, to my TikToks, anything and everything. Um, it's all free. It's all here. I've been doing this since day one, and day one was quite a while back. And I'm continuing on. And if this becomes something more then let's let it happen because I, I, I embrace that. I want that to happen. I am feeling like you guys have heard, like I've addressed my school has just been, and you know what? I just have to say, I love my community. Before I get into all my griping with my administration and whatnot, and just my schedule and where I feel and how my health is being is degrading because of my schedule. I'm not able to focus on my health. You know what? Aside from all of that, my community that I am surrounded by is amazing. I have never felt so much love and just in being embraced by people that truly care about me because I guess they've they've seen how I truly care about them. And for all of those that have been following my little journey this past week, it's been quite a journey and I wasn't really talking about it. And then finally, everything kind of came to a head where my students can kind of tell I was kind of, you know, I, I tried to put on a face, do my work, do that, all that kind of stuff. But with the the amount of weight that I've been feeling, the amount of grief and loss and how it's just waxing and waning, because you guys know grief, grief comes in waves. It comes all of a sudden in um, a visceral response to a song where goosebumps attack your entire body. And then you erupt in crying because it reminded you of that person that you no longer are going to see for the rest of your life. Or that creature. Maybe you expected that you would go to the fridge one uh, late at night and expect to hear some little tap, tap, tappings of paw prints following you all along into the kitchen at, I don't know, late at night, thinking that they're going to also get a little something, something, a little T-R-E-A-T. Because this past week, well, it really started last week where my 
parents had notified me about my cousin being putting uh, being put on uh, intubation, uh, aka basically not being able to breathe by himself and having to rely on life support due to a metastasized tumor that uh, had recurred, um, uh, a brain tumor. Um, I won't get into the specifics because then I'll start etymologizing and I'll get off into a sudden different tangent and I'll forget what I'm talking about here. So that happened and I was just trying to communicate. I mean, I'm not as close with my mom's side of the family as I had been in the past, but Julio was definitely one of my OGs. I remember talking to my students about how, and my brother remembers too, where, um, Back in the day when we were kids, my mom's side of the family is from El Paso. So being back in El Paso with Julio, he had a PS2 and our parents never allowed us to have a console until way later on in our life. And I remember him bringing that PS2, we'd go into the back house and we'd just play for hours and mom and dad probably weren't really happy about that. But still, it was so, I remember playing Spider-Man 2. I love that game so much. I remember because of him, I bought Spider-Man 2 for the computer, but I was thoroughly let down uh, because Spider-Man 2 on the console uh, is mechanically completely different than Spider-Man on the computer back in the day. I don't know. For anybody that knows that, they know. But if not, then you don't know, um, which I thought was very weird. It's almost like they they had two different engines that basically made the PS2, Xbox version of Spider-Man 2 versus the Spider-Man 2 that was made on the computer. But that being said, um, I remember just having those salient moments with him. And, and it was so weird having hyper-realistic dreams of those memories and being reminded and then waking up and having those those, you know, those those dreams that affect you because they you wake up and you, you're like something about them, the feeling of that dream. You can't really remember all a lot of that dream, or at least a lot of the time for me when I dream, I either tend to remember my dreams throughout the day, or I don't even remember a lot about my dream. I just remember the feelings associated in my dream and how I felt in my dream and what came and came up and arose. And um, yeah, so I don't know if you guys dream like that. I do. But I remember just having all of these these moments with him and being reminded. And, and then all of a sudden, we're notified Monday evening that he had to be, you know, taken off. They, they decided to take him off intubation. And he had basically kind of held on and as much as he could until um, uh, he passed Tuesday morning. So... Um, that happened. And then while that was happening, I get a call from my parents, uh, on Sunday night about, uh, my dog Nala and, uh, and how she, uh, had been moving very, um, weird. She was, she wasn't seeming herself. She seemed uncomfortable. She hadn't ate since Friday and, you know, all things that just what was not like Nala. AKA the the best goo in the world, as we always used to say. As you can see, I'm saying it past tense because she's no longer with us. But what had happened was, um, man, I feel like I've 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 teared myself out to the point where I think I can do this without actually getting all teary eyed and cry eye again. Um, and I can thank my students for really helping me. My Friday was just an uplifting day in general. 
But with that being said, talking to my parents on Sunday, coming to Monday, still continuing to talk to my parents. They take her to the vet, have MRI scans done where they find that she has a hemangiosarcoma. And I, uh, maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong, but I don't really care to like look that up right now and the correct pronunciation, but it's just basically heme referring to blood, ang referring to angina, like the wheezing. <laughs> and um, a sarcoma is a fleshy tumor, sarc referring to flesh and oma referring to tumor. Um, so you can suss it out from extrapolating at least those root words and then kind of doing the equation A plus B plus C plus D. But um, they were saying that basically this this case is inoperable and that, uh, yeah, it was just really, my parents called me and they told me that and I just, I was like, this doc has to be certain. This doc has to be more than certain because Nala seems so healthy, still such a healthy coat, still so young as a puppy in a way. I don't know. And so they had decided with that, all that, that information uh, gathered uh, that we were going to have to put her down on Friday. And I'm not there physically with Nala. I can't be there. I'm here in Colorado. I can't go back down to Santa Fe um, with my parents and, and see and support, even though I want to so badly. And so time progresses and um, Tuesday rolls around and we're still talking about Nala's condition. And my dad is just mentioning how she's just progressing very, very fast in a bad way, in a very negative way. And, um, and they kind of circle back with the doc and they have to reschedule her, um, uh, to be put down essentially, um, Wednesday afternoon. And luckily the, the one good out of that was that they were able to get it so that I was able to call them during my planning period when I was at school to say goodbye to my Nala and it just really hurt to have from FaceTime. I had to go to, um, and I'm, I'm not a person that really FaceTimes at all. Like if you, if you know me, you know that I don't FaceTime. Like, I don't really know what that is. I don't, I, that doesn't, uh, I don't do that often. And so I went from FaceTime and then they wouldn't let me FaceTime anymore. So I went to the phone on the speaker and, and I was just with her and I tried to just let her know and let her know my voice and, and tell her how much I love her. And, you know, it just hurts still. It hurt a lot. And for those that know, they know. Because then she was gone. And here I am sitting in my classroom in my planning period at three o'clock. And I'm just sitting there and I hadn't cried. I hadn't, nothing had happened. And then all of a sudden, the words, um, all dogs go to heaven, just reverberated in my mind for some reason. And I broke down crying. And I broke down. Like I was like, I, it was uncontrollable. I don't know what happened. It just overtook me. It was like grief 
grief wrapped itself around me and just like just shook me. It was like, this is it. It felt so surreal. I couldn't even be there with my dad to bury her. That really hurts too. Now I'm getting all choked up again now. So I'm gonna take a sec. It's just been a lot of loss. And with everything else and how tired I've been and how my health has been kind of on the wayside with my schedule and my, you know, I'm dog tired. And, and then my admin just, uh, you know, touching base with my principal admin. Cause I, there are two admin and I report to my middle school. Cause I first off demanded that at, for in my contract for this year. Um, but also because, um, my middle school supports me more. I don't really trust my high school admin. Uh, like I trust my middle school admin and, uh, that's kind of across the board with all the teachers, all the teachers feel that way. It's funny that our high school admin is having us read the culture code and yet, um, he doesn't really know how to create a culture that actually wants to show up for him. Like middle school has, I will go to the end of the earth for my middle schoolers and my middle school admin because of how much they care and support me. And I know that. And then my, my high school admin makes me feel the same way because in our conversation, you know, we're, I'm talking to him about everything and, and what's going on. And his solution was basically, since I don't have a lunch on Monday because NHS takes up that lunch period, that we were going to try and shift that to um, a different period on Tuesday so that I could at least get my lunch period. But that really wasn't what I was asking. And, um, you know, still... I, I, I'm trying to help him understand. I don't know how to help him understand that simply put a, a lunch period between 1215 and having middle school students already knocking at my door for class at 1232, usually 1231. Sometimes it'll be a little later, like 1234 depends on when they let the kids out for lunch. You know, we don't rely on bells at our school, which I actually do appreciate because you know, back in the day, bells really were just implemented uh, because it was held, uh, it was used in order to condition the student to go from station to station to station, basically getting that that kid ready for the factory line, essentially. But that being said, I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? If I'm working all the way and then I don't have my planning period where I actually have a semblance to just actually think and actually not think about teaching or behaviors or anything else or emails or whatever, um, I get to my day at two, it's two thirty-two. That's when, uh, like that's, and, um, and then again, having that, that, you know, roughly 20 minute period is not enough time for me to eat a lunch. I even told him, I was like, I have not been able to physically eat a lunch. I've been drinking all of my calories. I get these things called Kate farms that I've been trying to drink because they're, they're small little things. Um, because my gut has been actually kind of in a, a, a rack lately. So I have to really like be very deliberate with what, what I'm putting in my, my gut right now. Um, and, and that's just the, the, the cards that I'm dealt with. Um, but that being said, like I'm, I'm having shakes for lunch usually. And may, sometimes I don't even have time for that. 
And his solution is to basically make it so that I can get at least that little 20 minute period on Monday. I was like, that's not, that's not what I'm asking for in order for me to actually have the sustainable uh, job. This is not what I'm asking, buddy. I already told my middle school admin, I've got half a step out the door because I don't see myself foregoing my health for my jobs anymore. I can't do it. I can't do it. That's why I'm, I'm feeling like I really want to invest more and I want you guys to help me out. If you can help me out in any way, shape or form, you know, plugging it anywhere, uh, recommending it to your friends, your family, um, you know, teachers, other teachers, maybe they want to utilize this kind of stuff in their classes. I've had other teachers utilize my podcast as well. I know that I'm tending to ramble bamble and stuff like that here and there. But, um, you know, I do this, this is all educational. Um, and also me, sometimes it's also my lore as people have said, but you know, I'm just, I, I just, this is, um, this is a lot. This is a lot. And I feel like that Friday after everything that had happened, um, I had so much support from my students, all of this love just given to me. And that's why I do this. I do this for my students. I do it because I feel so much love. I love love. I love my students. I love you guys. I just feel it. And I feel like you guys see me because I'm real. I really try to not be this unreal fake person on TikTok. That's why I've talked about why my TikToks are longer is because I'm trying to combat the whole like fast, rapid, active stuff. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. With that being said, I love my community. And for those that have seen on my TikTok, you saw some of the, the, the notes that my students wrote me. And can you, can you believe how much knowledge and how much profound uh, wisdom these kids have? One of those students that wrote me that note, the one, um, oh man, one of them is dealing with a, a brain tumor right now. That is right now, um, I think benign, but it's, it's I, I forget. Um, I could pull it up right now and talk about what exactly the type of tumor it is. But I mean, this kid is a seventh grader. Oh, she's a beautiful kid too. She's, she's such a great kid. To have to deal with what she's dealing with and then to 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 say what she said to me in the, those words and to truly beautiful human. I love my students. And then as Atticus Finch said, I try to love everyone and I will love everyone. Except for animal abusers and child abusers because I'll punch them in the face and then I'll break their cheekbone with a small hammer and then... I'm going to kill him. If you guys have ever heard that quote, it's from 21. I always thought that that was very oddly specific. But you know what? Apparently, when you break your cheekbone with a small hammer, it hurts. And you got to say it with, a, with an A, not an E-R. Hammer. Anyways, thank you, guys. I'm done with my little intro. Let's get into reflexive and intensive pronouns. And, uh... Love y'all. Thanks again for being here and continuing to be here. 
I really appreciate it. The amount of gratitude. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Gratias TB. Gratitude to you. All right, so getting into reflexive and intensive pronouns. This might be a heavy one. I'm going to try and not make it too long. But we have, um, sorry there, a little bit of a brain fart. We have four important rules that I want you guys to remember before we actually get into the nitty gritty. So firstly, reflexives reflect the subject. If you etymologize reflect, re means back and or again. Flect comes from flectere in the Latin, which means to bend. That's where we get the act of flexion. If you know what flexion is, that's what your bicep does. So that's what a bicep curl is. It is the flexion of the humerus and then extension of the humerus is what's going to engage the triceps, um, aka straightening out your, mu uh, your arm. If you straighten out that muscle all the way and you lock it out and you try and really flex it, what are you feeling? You're feeling those back muscles, aka those triceps, aka that kind of like weird horse shape, horseshoe shape kind of muscle on the back of your arm. Just had to throw that in there real quickly. Um, again, your legs do the same thing. Your hamstrings are basically the biceps of your leg. I'm getting on a tangent. Yay. Um, but there's actually a muscle within your hamstrings, literally called the bicep femoris. Bi meaning two, seps referring to head, femoris, genitive singular of the femur. Because genitive, how do you make femur possessive? Well, you could either say femurs with an apostrophe S, aka ticky mark S, or of the femur. So literally translated, bicep femoris would be the two heads of the femur. And what is it going to do? It's going to do the same thing that the bicep of your arm does. It's going to do flexion. So if you want to engage your hamstring, think about a hamstring curl. What are you doing? You're taking your leg from a locked position for the most part, and you're curling it behind you. And that's almost like a backwards bicep curl, right? And then if you straighten out your leg and you try and engage your quadriceps, that's extension. And that's where you see all of those four muscles aka vastus lateralis, vastus intermedius, rectus femoris, and then vastus medialis. Medialis is the one, the teardrop muscle, the people, the one that people mention a lot, very uh, in terms of aesthetics. When you're, whenever you're wearing shorts, you can kind of see that one pop out because it also aids in patellar stability. So definitely work on that one because that one will help keep your patella tracking correctly. Because a lot of the time, your vastus lateralis, aka the quad on your outside, is way, way, way more prone to hypertrophy, um, aka hyper meaning high or excessive, trophy referring to nourishment, aka your vastus lateralis is more prone to growing than your vastus medialis. And when the outer quad takes over more so than the inner quad, it starts to lead to kind of like... Um, bad movement mechanics where your knees start to kind of cave in on themselves. We call that knee valgus a lot of the time. This can also happen through other things, but yeah, I just went on a tangent. So I got to go back to my first point here. Hopefully you enjoyed that little uh, physiological lesson. Reflexives reflect the subject. That's the first point. Second point, reflexive forms must match the subject in person and number. And thirdly, English self or selves forms can refer to action which either affects one affects oneself with an A, in which case they're reflexive, or is done in person, in which case they're intensive. And lastly, number four, 
English intensives tend to follow directly what they refer to. English reflexives, however, as, the, as a rule, never do. So let's get on into it. Reflexive pronouns are pronouns really that refer back to the subject. So let's say that English overmarks these forms. So for instance, we say, I praise myself. Think about it for a second. You don't say to yourself, self, or, or you don't say self. Um, you can just say, I praise me. And it means the same thing. So we overmark the reflexive by, by saying myself when we could just say me. In the same way we say something like, uh, you praise yourself, you could simply say, you praise you. And it would mean the same thing, right? The, the meaning of that sentence is still retained, but we're adding that self on to make it more reflexive. Only in the third person is the self form actually required. So when you think about it in any sentence and context, it is clear who I or you is, but it's not always clear who he is or she or it. That's because there can be two different he's being referred to, but you and I always know who we are when we're speaking with, with one another, aka each other. Does that make sense? I know. Pronouns are a really nuanced thing, especially in Latin, but I'm going to try and distill it as much as I can and make it as palatable as I can for you guys. So unlike me and myself or you and yourself, him and himself have to be differentiated. For instance, he praises him, meaning the poet praises the king, where the him is non-reflexive because, it because it's not the poet praising himself. Uh, to make the sentence reflexive, you change him to himself and you change the thought of the sentence entirely, right? So instead of saying he praises him, you say he praises himself. Well, kind of means that the poet is really praising himself, aka the poet, not the king anymore. The same is true of the third person plural. For instance, they praise them, meaning the po poets praise the kings. Uh, where them is non-reflexive, but they praise themselves, the poets are praising the poets. Well, themselves is reflexive, and if they're praising themselves, then congratulations. You want a freaking monument? I don't know. It sounds like you guys maybe need to step off your high horse a little bit. Where English overmarks these reflexives, Latin does not. There's my, or rather, there's my long-winded explanation for um, a rather really nuanced thing. So I hope that that makes a little bit of sense as we go in here real quickly as I get a little sippity sip. So for example, Latin says me laudo, I praise me, literally meaning I praise myself, or te laudas, you praise you, meaning you praise yourself. Notice that you can tell whether a pronoun is reflexive or it has the same, rather, if it has the same person and number as the subject. So, for instance, the te in a sentence like te laudo, I praise you, cannot be reflexive because te has a different person. It's second person from the subject embedded in the form, form laudo, which is first person, right? That O ending equals I. 
Latin uses different forms for reflexives and non-reflexives only when the difference makes a difference, so to speak, in the third person. So he praises him, someone else, is non-reflexive and has to be distinguished from the praise praises himself, which is reflexive. The same is true in the third person plural. Therefore, if reflexive pronouns reflect the subject, they can be in any of the following cases. The genitive. He longed for praise of himself. Dative. We gave a gift to or for ourselves because uh, of self-care, uh, I guess. The accusative. You love yourself too much. Uh, according to those poets who need to probably stop praising them, themselves so much. And the ablative, they can see good in slash within themselves, right? Rem remember genitive, fancy for possessive noun, dative, indirect object, accusative, direct object, and ablative, the prepositional phrase. Featuring a nice little neck poppity pop there. But reflexive pronouns cannot be nominative because they must reflect the subject. They can't be the subject. So the only act of them is reflecting back towards that subject, a.k.a. re, back, plus flect, bend, to bend back. A mirror cannot see its own reflection. Think about it. Wow. Deep. Nice. Ring-a-ding. Skip it a bop. Moving on. So here are the forms of the reflexive pronoun in Latin, and notice there's no nominative. And also notice also that in the first and second person singular and plural, there are no forms to memorize, because in those persons and numbers, the reflexive pronouns are the same as the personal pronouns. And the only form you'll have to memorize here is the third person reflexive pronoun, sui sibi se se. Sui sibi se se. Note that Latin makes no distinction between the singular and the plural of the third person reflexive pronoun because the subject makes it clear that sui sibi se se refers to. If the subject is he, sui sibi se se has to mean himself. If the subject is she, it has to mean herself, it itself, and they themselves. Make sense? hopefully. One last thing to note, though, about the reflexive pronouns, that is, is that when it is the object of the preposition cum, it will behave the same way that the pronouns may, te, nobis, and wobis do, right? Remember, we actually um, put them together. We, we call that assimilation. We throw those two together. It will reverse the usual order of the preposition and the object and form a single word, so say would be say cum instead of cum say, meaning with himself, with herself, with itself, or with themselves. In the same way that the personal pronoun may has a possessive adjective counterpart, mayus, or tu has tuus, the reflexive pronouns also have adjectival counterparts called reflexive possessive adjectives and as we've seen before in the reflexive pronoun, the Latin use of the reflexive possessive adjective is more logical than that of English where self forms are overused. So with the reflexive possessive adjective, 
English overuses own and the reflexive adjective equivalent of self. That is, where English will say, I have my own book, own is unnecessary. Latin will just say, I have my book. So we're trying to use less words to retain the same meaning essentially, right? But also reflexive, I kind of make it a little bit more wordy when it doesn't need to be wordy in my opinion, but moving on. For instance, he has his own book. His own as the reflexive form means that the king has his own, aka the king's book, as opposed to he has his, that is someone else's book, meaning the king has the poet's book, in which case his is non-reflexive. Does that make sense? Because that means that unlike in that first and second person, in the third person, there needs to be a special reflexive possessive adjective. And there is suis, sua, suum, meaning his, hers, its, their own, right? Suus can, and that declines as either the first declension, ah, I, I, am, ah, for feminine, or us in the second declension masculine, us, e, om, o, and then second declension neuter, um, e, om, o, and so on and so forth. So for instance, let's take a Latin sentence here. Rex suos libros habet, which means the king has his own books. Suos in this case means his own because the king is the subject. But if we change the subject, the translation of suos must change accordingly. So if we change the subject and make it neuter singular, then suos becomes its own. So, for instance, otium sua pericula habet, meaning leisure possesses its own perils, or we can make sure that the subject is plural. Then suis becomes their own. So, for example, pueri suis libros habent, the boys have their own books, would be another example of such things. Did you notice that the endings of suos, particularly their number and gender, had nothing to do with the translation of suos with a U-S, suos with an O-S, right? O-S meaning the accusative plural masculine. So for instance, leisure possesses its own perils. The proper form of suos there, sua, is plural because the adjective agrees with pericula. But because suus is reflexive and reflex back to the singular subject, otium, which is leisure in this case, it's, tra it's translated as its own, which brings home the all-important lesson that I talked about in uh, the fourth lesson. And I've been trying to drive into your brains ever since that the endings on Latin nouns are adjectival and are directional. Well, Latin adjectives are directional, essentially. I said that a little wordy. I'll say it again. The endings on Latin adjectives are directional. Get that in your head. Underline that. The endings on Latin adjectives are directional. They simply tell you what noun to take the adjective with. Nowhere else is the lesson more important than here with the reflexive possessive adjectives. So let's take another example, for instance. Rex nihil suae filiae dedit. The king gave nothing to his own daughter. Notice that su, part of suae, here means his own because suus, 
as a reflexive possessive adjective reflects the subject, and the subject here is king, which is singular and masculine. Therefore, the proper translation of suus in this sentence is his own. But the ending on the adjective is I, because the adjective agrees with filii, which is the indirect object meaning to the daughter, and thus dative singular feminine, a.k.a with that A-E ending, which is why I translated daughter with to his own daughter. Here's another example while I take another little swiggity swig. I'm just on a one-off. When I go, I don't want to stop, but I got to make sure also because Spotify for Podcasters films in 30-minute segments, and if I go past the 30 minutes and I don't see that I've gone past it, Then I start talking to myself and I don't realize that I'm actually not recording anymore. So that's okay because we've only been doing it for now almost 17 minutes. So let's continue on. Example, Ilia culpas filiorum suorum widit. That woman saw the faults of her own sons. Culpas means faults. That's where we get mea mea culpa from. I don't know why I stuttered on that. Because the subject is Ila, that woman, suus means her own. And because suus agrees with filiorum, it is genitive, plural, masculine, suorum. Reflexive possessive adjectives are different from their pronoun counterparts in one surprising respect. Respect, because now I have turned into Sean Connery for one second while I take this and read the rest of my sentence They have nominative forms, and that's because they can refer to the subject of the, uh, I'm going to be, I'm done, I'm sorry. They have nominative forms, and that's because they can refer to the subject of a previous thought. For instance, the king has headed to the forum But his son, meaning his own son, had stopped him. Here, his own son refers to the king. Thus, it reflects the subject. But the subject of the first sentence, the king, in the second sentence, his own modifies the son, which would be filius, nominative, singular, masculine in Latin. Thus, the form of the reflexive possessive adjectives in the second sentence must be suus, um, yeah, just suus, a.k.a. suus filius, a.k.a. nominative. Now, if it were uh, someone else's, or were to be someone else's son, however, um, who stopped the king, that seems unlikely, but let's go with it. Um, the his is no longer reflexive, right? In that case, Latin would use aeus for his. So it'd be filius aeus, or huis ilius, or eustus. Um if you're pointing to them uh, in a condescending uh, manner, which would uh, almost certainly be the king's perspective because the his no longer reflects the king, essentially. See how we can take that and we can change from reflexive to intensive. So we're just going back and forth and understanding the intensive versus the reflexive. We've looked at uh, demonstrative pronouns like he can elay, Personal pronouns like ego and to, demonstrative pronouns that function as personal pronouns like east, ea, id. And in this lesson here, we've done p- reflexive pronouns like sui, si, be, se, se. 
So we have one other type of pronoun that I want to address here real quickly. And it's not going to be the last, sadly. Get ready for more. But this is the intensive pronoun. So the intensive pronoun that we have also been talking about, side-handed, that we're going to kind of circle back and talk about deliberately, um, is a little bit more complicated and unnecessarily so in English than in Latin. Ha! English intensive pronouns use the same form as their reflexive counterparts, himself, herself, itself, and so on. Which means in English, you can't look at a pronoun that's intensive or reflexive and tell which one it is based on the appearance of its own form. Consider the following though. He himself went to the forum. What does himself mean here? Think about it. It means that uh, he went there in person. He didn't send someone, or, 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 well, in this case, let's make it historically accurate. He didn't send one of his slaves or one of his friends. He went there and did his own business on his own, as opposed to he went to the forum and bought food for himself. Here, himself is reflexive because it refers back to the he and the subject. In other words, he did it in his own behalf or on his own behalf rather. Now consider another sentence here real quickly. You yourself praised yourself. Ugh. The first yourself is intensive. You yourself means you did it in person. The second yourself is reflexive. Praised yourself means the action of praising was brought back to you, the subject. Note that in English, the intensive and reflexive, excuse me, pronouns um, are the same. They're both yourself. So you just have to be able to understand contextually how to delineate between the two. By now, I suspect you can guess where this is all going. Because guess what? In Latin, intensives and reflexives are not the same. Um, reflexives are formed the way we just studied, aka mei, tui, sui, sibi, and so on. The Latin intensives looked very, look very different, rather. Ipse, ipsa, and ipsum. Thus, in Latin, you yourself praise yourself, or you yourself praise yourself. There we go. I, I don't have this written down. I'm pulling this from my head now. Um, would be um, would be te ipse laudas. So, firstly, te is the direct object of yourself. Ipse is nominative, you yourself, which is intensive. And then laudas is praise, but S ending would be second person singular, a.k.a. you. And here are the forms of ipse, ipsa, and ipsum, which should look familiar, right? Look at them. The endings are virtually identical to ile, ila, and ilud. Um, the only difference, the irregular D, the ending of the neuter nominative and accusative singular of ilud, is missing in ipse, ipsa, ipsum. And who can complain about that, really, in my opinion? So, for instance, the nominative singular masculine ipse is perfectly predictable if you would compare it to ile. And by now, you should be used to that mandatory long mark on the ablative singular feminine of any form which follows that first declension. In first declension, or anything like it, this macron is mandatory because it distinguishes the ablative singular feminine from its nominative singular counterpart, as well as the neuter nominative and accusative plural forms, which, hint, hint, wink, wink, are always the same. Neuter nominative and accusative forms are always the same. It's always nice. I love patterns. 
Ile also should lead you to expect a genitive singular ending in I-U-S and a dative singular ending in I, which is exactly what you would get. Ipsius and then Ipsi. Thus, the real challenge here is not the Latin, but the English. In particular, differentiating between the intensive and reflexive forms. So, for starters, they mean different things, right? Intensive, intensives intensify. Reflexives reflect. Intensives, they mean in person. Reflexives mean they bend back. They reflect back. They refer back to the subject. But there's another pattern that can help you as well while I get another swaggy swig. In English, intensives tend to follow directly the word that they go with. So, for example, the woman herself brought food, or the Romans themselves built a city. In both examples, the intensive forms herself and themselves denote that the woman and the Romans did these actions in person. Note also that in both sentences, the self form follows directly the noun it intensifies. On the other hand, while reflexives in English have the same forms as intensives, both using self, the use of the reflexive is very different and so is the placement in the sentence. Firstly, they almost never follow directly after the word they reflect, aka the subject, and secondly, instead, there is almost always a verb between them and the subject. So, taking the same two sentences, I can turn an intensive self form into a reflexive self form simply by moving it in the sentence. In the first sentence, putting the verb brought in, the, uh, in between woman and herself changes it from an intensive form the woman herself, to a reflexive form, a.k.a. the woman brought herself food, meaning she brought it to herself, herself now reflecting the subject. Notice that the meaning of the sentence changed entirely when we shifted the pronoun from intensive to reflexive. And notice that the same thing happens when you make the same changes in the second sentence. The Romans built themselves a city. Themselves is now reflexive. So, when you see a verb between a self, form, and the thing it modifies, it's most likely reflexive, without one hideous exception. Consider the sentence, for, however. The Romans built the city themselves. There's a verb built between the subject Romans and the self form themselves. So, is themselves reflexive or intensive in this case? In other words, did the Romans do it to themselves? Did they build themselves? No, they built the city. Here, themselves can't be reflexive. It must be intensive. It means in person. The Romans themselves built the city, not the Greek slaves. But there's a verb between the Romans and themselves. Themselves should be reflexive, but it's not. So there must be a weird idiom in English in which intensifies... Um, or uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, not intensifies, but intensives can be put at the end of the sentence and still refer to a noun earlier in the sentence, which means that the pattern in which intensives follow the noun they go with is only a tendency, not a rule. Darn it, barnacles. I like rules. 
but tendencies can also be nice as well. They can be a little bit of some patterns, but it's kind of annoying. I get it. Stupid English. If the Romans weren't still around, they'd probably conquer us and make us fix our intensives and reflexives. And I, for one, would chat Makte, aka well done. Now, now, I'll go ahead and I'll leave it there because now I'm getting off on another tangent. But in all fairness to English, the meaning does distinguish self forms. But the English speaker, you yourself, always have to remember to ask yourself if any self you happen to run into is intensive or reflexive. So be sure to always do this itself, yourself, for yourself. Sorry, thought I'd just throw in that little meme there. And with that being said, I'm going to wrap it up there. And we made it within the 30-minute mark. Yep, 28 minutes and counting. So thank you guys again. I appreciate you guys. And if you did make it this far, I hope you learned something new. I'm going to provide all of which I can in the show notes to help you out. Probably more so the examples that I went on in the the latter half of the episode talking about the 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 differences between reflexive and intensive but hey let me know how i did i hope that this was uh very informative for y'all and with that being said let's thank ourselves think an aspect of yourselves your eyes your ears your fingernails i don't know your toes wiggle them pads of your feet your vessel is amazing sometimes frustrating but also amazing and until next time tempus est discedere